Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityurma Amritam Gamaya Om Shanti 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 Om Lead us from the unreal to the real Lead us from darkness unto light Lead us from death to immortality Om Peace Peace, peace. Good morning and a happy new year to everybody. So the morning here seems rather snowy and <laughs> and dark and dismal. Um, I wish all our viewers across the world uh, a happy and much better new year in 2021. So we are gathered here for a session, the first session of Ask Swami in this new year, uh, where questions from all over the world are collated and uh, sifted through and organized by our team. And then we discuss them. These questions are of various kinds, but um, many of these questions are questions of not just one person, but many people. So when we are taking up a question asked by a certain person, we should all listen carefully because it could be it could be your question. And uh, you could be the one to benefit more from it than anybody else, uh, from the discussion of the question and the answer. So I'll ask Diane to uh, read out the questions. Swamiji, thank Good you. Good morning. Um, yes, we start off with two questions of a similar nature. The first is Vikram, who asks... I think I conceptually understand Brahman is our real nature, but I find it extremely difficult to experience it because I feel it contradicts the workings of the mind. Therefore, gaining knowledge of the true self through the mind seems to be a futile process. Should the mind be even used as an instrument for self-realization? And then Ravi Shankar from Chennai, India asks a similar question. I understand that my true self is the eternal Sat Jitananda and that our objective in our lifetime is to realize this truth. My question is that since consciousness by itself cannot reveal anything without the support of Maya, isn't our mind necessary for self-realization through the reflection of consciousness? Then is realization achieved through our mind? Is realization also a form of vidya maya? Very important questions. And these, these two questions are actually two sides of the same coin. Um, the role of the mind. On the one hand, we are told about Brahman, which is not an object which cannot be seen, heard, smelled, tasted, touched. It cannot be thought of, it cannot be spoken of by language. It's futile to philosophize about it, speculate about it. Um, so it does not seem to be an object, anything that the mind can think of, anything that the mind can grasp or comprehend. Um, so it seems that the mind is, is not necessary for enlightenment or it, mind cannot be used for realization. That's one side of it. The other side of it, what Ravi Shankar, Ravi Shankar from Chennai is asking is, Everything that we know is through mind. Consciousness by itself, it re needs the world of names and forms, including the mind, to know anything at all. So, uh, realization, doesn't it have to be in and through the mind? Doesn't it depend on the mind? Um, and if it comes through the mind, it's still part of maya. It Then realization becomes a part of what, what he says, vidya maya. And the answer to those questions, of course, is yes. But we must understand this. To put all this uh, in a short form, concisely, is the mind necessary for enlightenment or is the mind not necessary for enlightenment? To put it even more succinctly, what is the role of the mind in enlightenment? If you want to put it in one question, we want to understand this. Big question. 
uh, why I said big question. This is an irrelevant story, but I can't help telling you. This wonderful Tibetan master I met um, many, many years ago. The Tibetans have different schools of uh, Tibetan Buddhism. So one of the schools is called the Sakyapa. And the, their head, the head of, you know, one of the schools is Gelukpa, whose head is the Dalai Lama. And who is the head of all the schools together. But of the four major schools, one of them is the Sakya school. And um, uh, in the Sakya school, the head is called the Sakya Trizin. Not the present one. I met the earlier one, the one who was before that, who was a wonderful uh, master. I didn't know much about him at that time. But anyway, I had gone to him with a question about, um, I had this bee in my bonnet about Tibetan Buddhism and Advaita Vedanta. So there's a long queue of people. And it was foolish of me to ask that question in that setting. But anyway, when my turn came, I bowed down to him, introduced myself, and I said, uh, what is the relationship? I want to ask you, what is the relationship between Advaita Vedanta and Tibetan Buddhism? Uh, Madhyamaka, Tibetan Madhyamaka philosophy. And he was a huge man and uh, with, with powerful glowing eyes. He looked down at me and, and as, as a newly minted monk. And, and he smiled, a little smile, knowing smile. And he said, big question, no time. <laughs> um, yes, big question, but we will make time now for this one about the role of the mind in enlightenment. So I'll try to answer this question in two parts. One is, I will take up the subtle philosophical aspect of it first, discuss the philosophy of it first, and give an answer to that. But also, the second part of the, uh, of the answer will be a practical part uh, related to our sadhana, our spiritual practice. So these two parts. Question, what is the role of the mind in enlightenment? Uh, is the mind necessary for enlightenment? Is the mind not necessary for enlightenment? Um, and the answer is in two parts. First part, the, the direct philosophical issue here. In um, This question is actually raised in a text called the Vedanta Sara, uh, which we are studying now. Towards the end of that text, about writing about 700 years ago, Sadananda Yogendra asks this question. You know, wait a minute. What is the role of the mind in enlightenment? Um, the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad says, Manasevanudashtabhyam, by the mind alone this can be grasped or realized. This means the ultimate reality, Brahman, I am Brahman. By the mind alone it can be uh, grasped or realized. And then the Kena Upanishad says, Yan manasana manute, uh, what cannot be realized by the mind? by which the mind itself is realized or illumined, but which, which the mind cannot realize. And we hear again and again, avang manasagocharam, which is beyond speech and beyond mind. Now you see, directly from the Upanishads, two apparently absolutely contradictory statements. One says, by the mind alone it has to be realized. It is realized by the mind alone, manasa eva, by mind alone. And the other one says, what cannot be realized by the mind? Now, how do you reconcile these two? So, let me, um, let us investigate this matter. The question is, what is the role of the mind in enlightenment? The broader question is, what is the role of the mind in knowledge? After all, we are looking for knowledge. Yes, definitely spiritual knowledge, realization. But in, let's first start with general uh, this, the knowledge that the mind, what does the mind do? Then we will realize what can the mind do in, for, for enlightenment and what it cannot do for enlightenment. So what does the mind do? Here is the model of knowledge. What knowledge? Just knowledge in, in general. All the knowledge that we have all the time. You know, when we, what happens? When do you see, you hear, smell, taste, touch? Uh, when you think, uh, when you remember, when you desire, love, hate, understand, remember, forget. All of these these are all related to the mind. So what happens? What does the mind do in all of these things? What is common, the common role of the mind? This, this is a branch of um, philosophy called epistemology. Study of knowledge. How do we get knowledge? Specifically in our case, we are interested in the role of the mind in getting knowledge. So this is how it works. Briefly, I will, I will state as, as briefly as possible the Vedantic model, the Vedantic epistemology. So when you see uh, 
a rose, a, a flower. What's happening? Let's remember the Vedantic um, model of the human personality, what we are. So, we are actually Brahman, that's what Vedanta wants to tell us, pure awareness, limitless awareness. But in this limitless awareness, through the agency of Maya, appears, not produced, appears. Body, mind, world, all of this appears. And in the mind, this limitless consciousness is reflected. You can use the word reflected, you can use the word limited. There are different um, models here. In, in Vedanta, there are different schools of thought. Avachedavada, limitation theory. Pratyabhimbavada, reflection theory. But whatever it is, pure consciousness somehow appears in this mind. And not difficult to understand because the mind itself is within uh, pure consciousness. So it will, it will, it's like if you hold a mirror uh, and uh, the mirror will reflect space. The mirror will reflect the sky. It's the nature of the mirror to reflect the sky. But notice the mirror is itself within space. So everything is, all physical things are within space. So if you hold up a mirror here, it will be within space. Uh, but it will reflect space itself. It will reflect the sky. Uh, in the same way, the mind which appears in pure consciousness, in limitless consciousness, reflects that limitless consciousness. And that reflected consciousness in Sanskrit, Chidabhasa, is there in the mind, which illumines the mind, which reveals everything in the mind. And then there is the sensory system, the body, and the world. Now, what happens when you know a flower? When know a flower means see a flower. Um, light is falling on the flower, and uh, the light from the flower is reflected back to the eyes. The lenses catch the image. Then somehow, uh, by the, remember, by the time uh, it comes to the eyes, the physical eyes, the lenses, there's no flower anymore. It's just light, light being reflected back. And the, by the time it goes into the eyes, there's no, it's not light also anymore. It becomes an image. Uh, in, in the lens and uh, instantly in a tiny fraction of a second it's no longer an image in the lens also what it becomes is a tiny tiny bursts of electricity racing along your optic nerves to the brain center by how far we have come from the flower um, so and then somehow in modern science we have no idea how um, these little bursts of electricity are presented to the mind in the form of a flower, the form of flower. There's not no real flower inside the brain. You would require immediate em emergency operation if a flower got into your brain. But it's it's a, in Vedanta it, it is called a vritti. A vritti literally means a movement or a modification. Imagine the mind to be a lake, and a vritti is like a little ripple or a little wave in that lake. Why is it caused? It's caused by the sensory input from the world outside. World outside to the senses, senses to the mind. Uh, all this is standard, not even, we don't need Vedanta for it, we don't even need Sankhya for it. It's Nyaya philosophy. Uh, Vishaya, Indriya, Sangyoga, Indriya, Manas, Sangyoga. Uh, so, object is connected to the senses, senses are connected to the mind. In the mind, there is a ripple, like a wave. And this wave has a content. Uh, it is about something. What is this? The wave, what is the wave? It's mind, it's chitta. But what is it about? It's about the flower. So there's like a little image of the flower in that wave. And that wave, that vritti, is uh, lit up by the reflected consciousness in the mind. So you have a vritti about the flower, and that is lit up by the ever-present reflected consciousness in the mind. Not the pure consciousness directly, but the reflected consciousness in the mind. And at that moment, we have the knowledge, I see a flower. It's a flash. Or it could, it could simply be a very very atomic kind of knowledge, flower, or even more basic, red, yeah. something like that. So there will be a flash of knowledge. This is basically the whole um, the Vedantic epistemology of, of sense perception uh, in brief. Notice the stages. By the way, here I'll go, go to what you might call a sidebar, a little footnote. Why? Um, those who have studied Vedanta, especially Vedanta Parivasha, those who have studied Vedanta epistemology in detail, there is a text called Vedanta Parivasha which goes in some detail into it. Uh, they will have an objection here. They will be say, they will say, Swami, you are leaving out the most uh, unique part of this. 
And there's this part where the antakaran, the inner sense, the mind, uh, it flows out through the sense organs and it envelops the object and it destroys the, or it removes the veil of, uh, of uh, obscuration, the avarana. And the underlying consciousness, reflected consciousness manifests that name and form. Then only we get the knowledge uh, that it is a flower. That part I'm true. I'm leaving it out. I just mentioned it to say that I'm leaving that part out consciously. We today, for whatever reason, we modern people, we don't think in that way of the mind flowing out through the senses. You know, it's an added complication enough to make your head spin. So I'm just leaving that out. I'm using our the usual physiology and the psychology of perception, which we all study in school. So we have. So here are the parts. Um, there is the vritti in the mind, but due to the sensory activity from the world, a vritti in the mind is created, a modification of the mind. And what is that vritti? A momentary wave in the lake of the mind about the object. Where did the object come from? It could be presented by the senses, something you see, hear, smell, taste, touch. Or it could come from within, from your own memory. Uh, the mind itself generates so many thoughts, feelings, ideas. So that causes a vritti in the mind. No matter where the vritti, where the content of the vritti comes from, once there is a vritti in the mind, this stage is called, I have to introduce the technical terms, vritti vyapti, pervasion by the mind or pervasion by vritti. But pervasion by vritti means the mind has a thought about it. That's the simplest way of putting it. As a sense, Swami Vivekananda puts it very beautifully. He says, in a lake, calm lake, if you throw a pebble into it, there will be widening ripples. Similarly, what is the pebble? Sense input from outside into the lake of the mind. So there is this ripple called a vritti. This thing is called, this whole process, in an instant, fraction of a second, much less time than it takes for me to talk about it, it happens. And it's continuously happening to us. We are seeing things. One thing, two things, three things. We are seeing one thing after another. We are hearing things. Uh, we are thinking about it. All of it comes in rapid succession. Not simultaneously, in rapid succession. And it seems to be a simultaneous. It's like a, the mind itself puts all these pieces together and creates a virtual environment in the mind. So this is vritti. Uh, this process is called vritti vyapti. Vritti vyapti. This term, it's important to learn this term because all of which I talked about just now, it is nicely encapsulated by one term, vritti vyapti. This is what the mind does. And then what happens, the reflected consciousness in the mind, it illumines the vritti. In a flash, because the light is there. Whatever is presented to the light is illumined. So the light is there, the consciousness is there in the mind, the reflected consciousness. So the reflected consciousness illumining that vritti, all of this happening in a fraction of a second, illumining this vritti is called phalabhyapti. Phalabhyapti. The resultant cognition by pervasion of reflected consciousness. So, uh, all of it is nicely summarized as phalabhyapti. So knowledge, and that phalabhyapti results in the knowledge, I see a rose. You might see a lot of complication just to see a rose. But this is actually not complicated. It's, an, it's a less than one second kind of flash which happens together. Notice in all of this, knowledge in Vedanta, any kind of knowledge, sense knowledge, interior, whatever knowledge is coming, um, in, in your mind also, all of this knowledge, finally it is all in the mind, and the mind is illumined by reflected consciousness. Two things are necessary for knowledge. Two things are necessary for knowledge. One is the activity of the mind, vritti vyapti. What does it do? It focuses the mind on a particular thing. We have any number of things. We need attention to be focused on something for knowledge to come. Right now when I look at this, I'm not looking at what is behind me. If I look at what is behind me, I'm not looking at what is here. So I am focusing the mind yeah, through the senses, eyes and ears and so and so forth. This direction of attention, this results in a particular vritti. So that's stage one, vritti vyapti. And stage two is the ever-present consciousness. Which consciousness? Original, pure consciousness, the witness consciousness, the Atman, reflected in, channeled through, limited by the mind. That reflected consciousness illumines the activity of the mind, the vritti. 
सो इट इज कॉल्ड फलव्याप्ति फलव्याप्ति प्लस वृत्तिव्याप्ति नॉलेज अगेन फलव्याप्ति प्लस वृत्तिव्याप्ति नॉलेज विच नॉलेज ऑल नॉलेज ऑल नॉलेज फलव्याप्ति प्लस वृत्तिव्याप्ति आई इफ यू आर लिसनिंग केयरफुली यू विल सी वेर दिस इज लीडिंग नोटिस दैट द एक्टिविटी ऑफ द माइंड इज एब्सोल्यूटली नेसेसरी फॉर एनी काइंड ऑफ नॉलेज एक्टिविटी ऑफ द माइंड इज एब्सोल्यूटली नेसेसरी फॉर एनी काइंड ऑफ नॉलेज सेंसेज आर नेसेसरी बट अल्टीमेटली इट हैज टू कम टू द माइंड इफ देर इज नो वृत्ति व्याप्ति देन द ऑब्जेक्ट विल रिमेन हिडन इन इग्नोरेंस फॉर अस आई एम यूजिंग वेदांतिक लैंग्वेज टू ब्रेक द वेल ऑफ इग्नोरेंस वट डू यू नीड वृत्ति व्याप्ति but to generate the knowledge itself what do you need consciousness what kind of consciousness there's a little wrinkle here reflected consciousness reflected consciousness shining on the vritti gives you knowledge fine so this is the model now this works for seeing a flower for eating a piece of chapati or bread for reading a book for listening to a vedanta talk always it it the same thing is going on my words are creating vrittis in your mind and um the reflected consciousness in your mind is illumining those vrittis and you are listening i hear i then i understand you then you start processing it multiple vrittis come so all kinds of knowledge are revealed by in this process vritti vyapti phalavyapti uh, happening almost simultaneously but now the fun starts when you say i want to realize brahman what is brahman brahman is the um the witness consciousness the unlimited consciousness whose reflection is in the mind i want to realize brahman then what happens you say go through the process of shravana manana niridhyasana you have to generate for for any knowledge you have to you need a vritti so you are generating a vritti how do you generate a vritti go to class read about brahman you know study the upanishads meditate upon it think deeply upon it what's what are you doing all of it is encapsulated in one term vritti vyapti you're trying to get a correct vritti about brahman a precise vritti a focused vritti directed vritti about brahman this vritti is being generated so that the attention is turned to brahman and it basically uh, first thing is it's turned attention away from the external world and inwardize it the only reason why we can't uh, realize our real nature is because we are continuously focused outwards either we are using our senses to be continuously engaged with sense objects or in our mind we are thinking about what we uh, what we saw ate smelled tasted touched uh, or our own reactions of uh, pleasure or misery or frustration fear anxiety all of it is about the world all of it is about the world about the body about the mind itself none of it is about the atman which is shining always in the mind none of it we have to turn it in words that is done by vritti vyapti so what vritti vyapti is created now the crucial question next step in knowledge phalav vyapti the reflected consciousness must uh, illumine the vritti but the, it's like you are asking a candle to illumine the sun what's happening here is let me use a couple of examples um one is at night uh, the moonlight illumines the world so by and suppose there's no electricity and the world is illumined by moonlight the world is the world here the moon is like the mind and uh, the sun is like the atman I'll repeat that again. Sun is like Atman, pure consciousness. Moon is like the mind, and the world is just the world. How are we seeing the world? Light of the sun. The sun is still there, but we can't see the sun at night. It is beyond the horizon, so we can't see the sun. The sun is shining on the moon, and the moon is lit up by the light of the sun. The sun's light lighting up the moon is like reflected consciousness. Do you see the model now? sun is like pure consciousness the moon is like the mind and the moonlight is like reflected consciousness and the reflected consciousness now shines on the earth how does it shine on the earth because the moon is facing the earth that moon's facing the earth is like vritti vyapti the mind turned towards something and the reflected consciousness is like reflected sunlight which we now call moonlight is now shining on the earth and revealing things on the earth for us that is like ordinary knowledge pure consciousness shining on the mind 
the mind is turned to various things whatever the mind turns to vritti vyapti and wherever there is vritti vyapti the light of consciousness in the mind reveals whatever is in that vritti it's called phala vyapti and that's knowledge now what happens during an eclipse what happens during an eclipse the moon comes between the sun and the earth and it's like the sunlight is falling on the moon but it's like the moon is now turned towards the sun as if and uh, instead the moon moon reflecting that sunlight back to earth it sends the sunlight back to the sun as it were now let me ask you the question first of all note that the earth will not be illumined anymore the earth will be in darkness there will be an eclipse number 1 uh, so there is a moment in enlightenment we we have to completely forget the world it it goes away by itself but now the light of the moon which was sufficient to reveal things on earth that night now that light of the moon is traveling back to the sun will you say now the moonlight has illumined the sun nonsense the sun shines with a million times more light than the moonlight and the sun and the moonlight also belongs to the sun it's not none other than the sun's light not at all required not at all required the sun reveals itself let us say let us say so it's a sort of example which works well but not too well the sun reveals itself similarly in um, brahma gyana enlightenment it is necessary for the mind to turn away from the world and be focused on brahman how do you do that by shravana manana nididhyasana by constant focus inquiry by meditation and prayer and the purification of the mind all of those practices entire host of practices enabling you to turn away from the world let go of our death grip on the world and focus on brahman on our real self so will that by that will be no brahman no no the mind cannot know brahman but it turns away from the world towards brahman this is called vritti vyapti can it do vritti vyapti of brahman of course or what we are trying to do all the time is vritti vyapti of brahman when we are studying reading thinking hearing uh, the reasoning about it we are trying to raise a vritti about brahman can it do vritti vyapti about brahman the mind can do vritti vyapti about brahman is there phala vyapti reflected consciousness revealing the ultimate consciousness no it is not necessary and it technically it will be there because just like the moonlight technically travels back towards the sun is reflected back not at all necessary not necessary and it cannot it need not it cannot reveal the sun similarly the phala vyapti the reflected consciousness in the mind it cannot it need not reveal the atman the atman blazes forth that is what is called the atman revealing itself in in vedanta terms it's called swaprakasha self luminous there's only one self luminous thing the atman that shining everything else shines by its light everything is lit up tameva bhantam anubhati sarvam tasya bhasa sarvam idam vibhati and that one is you the real you you shining everything else shines by your light everything is revealed that real you shines forth not that it was not shining till now just we didn't see it we didn't recognize it it was shining all the time is shining now will continue shining all the time even time is revealed by it time and space are also revealed by that shining so that that ever luminous atman shines forth in dev- devotional language what do we say it's not that you catch hold of god god reveals himself or herself uh, god gives us the vision or uh, vision of god it's not that you have earned it or you have grasped god you have realized god no that's the devotional language in uh, philosophical language consciousness is self luminous upshot all of that can i put the answer in um, one sentence is the mind required for enlightenment or not answer is yes and no yes in what sense no in what sense yes now we can put it very precisely yes vritti vyapti is necessary one must make the effort one must direct one's consciousness away one's mind away from the world towards god towards brahman towards the self and phala vyapti is not necessary it it is completely unnecessary 
So in that sense, the, it, the Atman or Brahman is beyond the mind. It is true when the Kena Upanishad says, Yan manasana manute, when the, what the mind cannot think about, what the mind cannot reveal. The mind can reveal the rose to you through vritti vyapti and phalabhyapti. But the mind cannot reveal Atman to you. There will be vritti vyapti, but phalabhyapti not necessary, cannot be done. The Atman shines forth. Swaprakasha. In that sense, the mind cannot reveal the Atman. It is the Atman which reveals the mind. Does the moonlight reveal the sun or the sun reveals the moon? Hmm. I said two examples I'll give. Even simpler example is the little kids. I remember we used to have um, tiffin at and tiffin time, you know, uh, in, uh, in school. And our parents used to pack little things in tiffin boxes. And tiffin boxes used to be quite shiny. So after eating, we would be naughty, you know, like we would shine. In the playgrounds, we would shine the sunlight back on the faces of our friends. And it will flash from a distance. So what am I doing? I'm using the sunlight and reflecting it back on something. If I want to see something in a dark room, I go from outside and reflect the sunlight with my shiny tiffin plate into that room. And I can focus. It's like a beam of light. It can see what's in an unlit room. That's how worldly knowledge happens. Focusing the tiffin plate, vritti vyapti. And the sunlight reflected from the tiffin plate, reflected sunlight. Direct sunlight does not go into the dark room. The reflected sunlight is phalabhyapti. But now suppose I want to illumine the sun itself. I turn the tiffin plate towards the sun. Of course I have to turn towards the sun to see the sun. But is the little reflected light from the tiffin plate illumining the sun? Of course not. It's blazing forth with uh, a billion times the light. And even the tiny flash of light from the tiffin plate also belongs to the sun. Similarly, all consciousness in our, our activities, day-to-day -day life, our, all our knowledge is lit up by the Atman itself through the reflected consciousness. And when the Atman reveals itself, you reveal yourself to yourself. You see, it's always revealed. It's a question of recognizing it. That question of recognizing, that's done by the Vritti Vyapti. So, when the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad says, Manaseva Nudrashtavyam, by the mind alone it can be seen. It's absolutely right. When the Kena Upanishad, right in what sense? Vritti Vyapti necessary. Without that, never. When the Kena Upanishad says, by the mind it cannot be realized. Absolutely right. In what sense? Phalabhyapti not necessary. So, both are reconciled. Um, it is necessary for the mind and it is, uh, mind is also, it's beyond the mind. It cannot be done by the mind. Now, this is the philosophical aspect. The practical aspect of it, I'll just mention something here. Um, why, the first question Vikram asks, difficult. He says, um, mind cannot realize it. And uh, Ravi Chandra, uh, he, Ravi Shankar, he says, the mind reveals it, is it part of Vidya Maya? Why is it difficult for the mind to reveal the Atman? Why is it difficult for the mind? The reason is, the mind knows only objects. Why? That's how the mind is designed. The eyes will know only objects out there. The eyes cannot see themselves. They cannot, um, you know, you can see a reflection of your eyes, you can see a picture, a selfie of your eyes, but the eyes, the way the eyes are seeing that flower, that way the eyes cannot see themselves. In philosophy, they call it the problem of self-reflexivity. See this fingertip. Um, I can touch other things with the fingertip. Uh, I can even touch other, other fingers with this fingertip. But this fingertip cannot touch itself. So, the mind... Uh, knows only objects. And when the mind, after having read about Vedanta and Atman and the witness consciousness, all of that, mm -hmm. begins to feel I've got it, the immediate tendency is, now how do I experience it? But what does the mind experience? Only objects. It will try to experience it objectively. Won't work. Hmm. You can have the ex most extraordinary visions, but it's still the Atman plus a name and form. In mystical visions. It's Atman plus a name and form. See, even this is the Atman plus name and form. When you look at the flower, it is the same Atman. Um, there is the name and form of a red flower. Uh, only thing is, this is a part of Avidya Maya. 
what Ravi has said, avidya maya, the maya of ignorance. It covers the real nature of Atman. <coughs> and our attention is drawn to it. The world, our attention is drawn to the world through Raga Dvesha, uh, likes and dislikes, hate or love, fear or uh, temptation, uh, terror or temptation. I am scared of it. Of what? Not the Atman, name and form. I, I really want it. I am in temptation. Of what? Not the Atman, name and form. So, this is what is happening to me in the uh, world. Uh, we are distracted by it. The underlying nature of the Atman is revealed by some names and forms which are called Vidya Maya. So, those are the mystical experiences of gods and goddesses which you know, all great mystics have had in different religions. So there also name and form is involved. If you, Vedanta asks this question, did you see it? Hmm. Yes. Then it's not the Atman. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you saw it, it's an object to you. An object to your consciousness. It could, you could have seen it outside, you could have seen it in your mind. It's an object. So this is the story of the tenth person. Uh, I will not narrate it here. But I, we all know the story. How people were counting, looking for the 10th person, counting 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and unable to find the 10th person. Why? I am the 10th person. I am, I am not counting myself, but why not? Why not? Why is it so difficult? It's because I have been used to finding the people outside. Where did I find the 9 persons? Out there. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. I have pretty good cause to think there must be a 10th person there. Can't find him. So the 10th person is not there. It took somebody to point out to me that you turn your attention this way towards you the counter and you will see that you are the tenth person. Even there in the example, um, it is still, you know, I am a body. Here is a body and I can count one more body. If you turn my attention towards the body, I can count it ten. Imagine how much more difficult it is for the Atman. It is not a body. It's not a mind. Not even a thought. What will you count as the tenth? What will you count as? I, the Atman. It can never ever be objectified. And the tendency of the mind is to objectify. That's the problem that Vikram is facing. After getting a grasp on what Vedanta is saying, then this tendency of trying to experience the Atman as an object comes. We may not put it in these words. I may even say, I am trying to experience the pure subject. You can't experience it that way. What you are trying to do is let making the fingertip feel itself. Can't. So it can't be done, it can be done in the way which I have just described. The way is through sadhana. Three levels, through the level of purification of mind, concentration of mind and removal of ignorance. We have talked about it many times in the past. Um, the first level of obscuration, what it does is, at the grossest level of obscuration, the mind has so much conditioning, it will not allow you to be interested in Vedanta, in, in any kind of spirituality. We are so engrossed in the world outside, uh, sounds and uh, forms and fears and temptations. So, no, no interest. Even talk of Vedanta, will, if you ever hear about it, talk about any spirituality at all, you hear about it, you will find it's not pertinent. To, I'm, I'm not interested in it. Either I'm doing well, things are going well for me. I'm rich and healthy and I'm, uh, all my projects are successful and I have many wonderful things yet to accomplish in life. What is all this you're talking about? doesn't seem of any use to me. Or the other way around. I have too many problems. Uh, I've got, I'm sick and poor and lonely and I have, uh, uh, I have so many unhappinesses. I have no time to think about your philosophies. Unfortunate. Because this is the only thing that can help really. As the mind is purified, either through a long and painful process of experience in life, and begins to calm down and think that this is not helping. Or by deliberate sadhana, by the grace of the Guru you actually do sadhana, which is karma yoga, then one becomes interested. At that point also one may think that yes, it is true, these things seem real, maybe God is real or Atman is real, but, but um, uh, it's not for me, it's too difficult. Only some uh, great monks and spiritual seekers and mystics, not for me or not in this life. That's also a trick of the mind. Then the next level comes when one is convinced such a thing is there and one is pursuing it, the mind is scattered. 
So the mind has to be trained by systematically in meditation to focus. Otherwise the vritti vyapti will not come. The focus of the mind is necessary. So through japa and dhyana and meditation. Bhakti. One big role bhakti plays, devotion to God plays is taking our attention, the flow of our emotions to the world, directing it towards God. The love of the world is collected and put towards God. It doesn't matter what happens in the world. What matters is that I love my Lord and my attention is gone God. Finally, when a focused and purified mind, you come to Vedanta, stay with Vedanta. So to for both Vikram and Ravi Shankar, I will say that stay with Vedanta. The preliminary part of Vedanta, the fourfold qualification and the hearing again and again and again. So these obscurations will be cleared away. Okay. Thank you, Swamji. Yes, you. that was a full talk in itself. I was going to say, on behalf of everybody, <laughs> wow, thank you. <laughs> um, so the next question is from Sujan M., who's from Bangalore in India. Uh, my question is related to text number 4546 of Vedanta Sara, where you mentioned that the experience of deep sleep is recorded by ignorance. If it is general ignorance or maya, how can it record something? Memory is not present in deep sleep, then how can it recall the experience when we wake up? Maya has two powers, veiling power and projecting power. The projecting power doesn't work in deep sleep. Is it the veil created by maya that has some sort of hole in it for a glimpse of Brahman? This question is important to me, as you mentioned about the trap door during text number 69. Well, this is somebody who's listening very carefully to the <laughs> Vedanta classes. The question is, you say that, uh, Vedanta says that deep sleep is uh, also an experience. After all, we wake up and we say, I slept happily. I did not know anything. But wait a minute. You wake up and you're talking about it, then there must be some kind of memory involved. But, but Vedanta itself says that the mind has stopped working in deep sleep. You can't think, you can't remember, you can't comprehend, you don't even have the sense of I, let alone memory. In ordinary things we can say, yesterday I, I saw, or this morning I saw some snow, snowflakes, you know, snowfall uh, in the morning. Now I can rec recollect it. Why? Because I actually saw it with my eyes and it was recorded in my memory. Mind was working. There was attention. Vritti, Vyapti, Phalabhyapti, all of that was there. The mind recorded it. Memory was there. Now I can recollect things from my memory. But in deep sleep, the mind was not working. It was asleep. How then do we rec recall the so-called experience of deep sleep? That's the question. Um, and the answer is given, as he has pointed out in Vedanta Sara, very clearly, the answer is exactly what he has said. Ati sukshma bhi vritti bhi. What does it mean? By the extremely subtle modifications of ajnana. Look at the word vritti, which we used earlier. Same vritti word is used here. By the extremely subtle modifications of the uh, of ajnana, ignorance, um, deep sleep is uh, recorded. What does that mean? As he says, how can that happen? Uh, ignorance cannot record anything, but actually ignorance can. See, one thing is it's it's a little bit of a problem, a little bit of an uh, embarrassment for Advaita Vedanta. It's something that uh, some uh, bookkeeping has to be done to adjust things. You have just said deep sleep is a, is an experience, and you've also said that the, there is no memory of no memory cannot work there. Then how do you recall that experience? How do you even justify that it's an experience? How do you claim that it's an experience without a memory? So, um, Vedanta has developed um, an escape route for, for this. It says that, oh, but there is something like a memory. Notice that it's also something like an experience. It's not an experience like we have in a waking state. In the waking state, experience means senses are working, mind is working, and there's that full range of palab, vyapti, vritti, vyapti, everything is there. So also in dreams, we have an internal experience. And there is clearly subject-object. Deep sleep, no subject-object. And even if the deep sleep experience is an experience, notice the uniqueness of that experience. Every deep sleep is like every other deep sleep. When you fall asleep, 
Every dream is different from every dream. Every day's waking is different from every other day's waking. But every deep sleep we have ever had is exactly the same. There is no fe- it's featureless. No objects, no subject, subject object melded together into one blankness. Even the sense of time, I slept for a long time or short time that we know only after waking up. There is no length so called of the deep sleep also. It's just blank. All the time it's the same. Not only that, all our deep sleeps, yours and mine and everybody else in the world and whoever has experienced deep sleep throughout history, they have ex- experienced exactly the same thing. So it's a very if it's an experience it's a very peculiar kind of experience. That kind of experience can be and is recorded in agyana which is what is called our anandamaya kosha and it is part of maya. We saying it's maya it is a part it's a fraction of maya. Maya as we know can be subdivided. Um you studied the vedanta saras all these things are very clearly discussed there. Maya has an, any number of parts and those parts are the are the anandamaya kosha for each individual jiva the the blankness we experience in deep sleep it is dynamic you see if you ask no no tell me how can it record something it can record bit because it changes to record something there must be a change your tape recorder or your digital devices there's a little change there which records something so the is agyana dynamic is ignorance dynamic yes it is how do you know that because notice what how we defined ignorance or agyana in vedanta sara um it is trigunatmakam sattva rajas tamas and in sankhya cosmology sattva rajas and tamas are the constituents of prakriti and they are continuously changing sattva into rajas rajas into tamas tamas into rajas rajas into sattva they are in continuous change they are dynamic it is this dynamic nature of ignorance which allows it to record beyond this no more details can be given because there's nothing more to record there are no details anyway uh, it is all the same this is a blankness now the trap door which he mentions that is not part of vedanta it's just something that occurred to me i had um, heard or read in the in the talks given by asadhu in uttarakhand in hindi where he points out something subtle he says deep sleep is an experience uh-huh. it's an absence an experience of absence not the absence of experience but an experience of blankness of absence just as we are experiencing objects here in dreams we are experiencing thoughts and imaginations in deep sleep we are experiencing the absence of thoughts imaginations objects but the ego which says i slept happily i did not know anything that is the waking ego the ego which wake after waking up it says this that ego was not there it was not at that in deep sleep it was not that the ego was there saying i am sleeping happily i am not experiencing anything never that sort of thing doesn't happen in deep sleep that ego was not there yet there was an experience handed over through a kind of deep memory that's why the word is used ati sukshma bhi extremely subtle movements of agyana why extremely subtle because the word subtle is reserved for the mind gross for the body subtle for the mind then what will you say about something if anything happens at the level of ignorance agyana extremely subtle ati sukshma is because of those movements at the um, level of agyana that uh, experience has been recorded and that was illumined by what by pure consciousness by the, by the reflected consciousness let us say or pure consciousness the witness consciousness illumines the movement the, the the deep sleep experience that is handed over upon waking up and this waking up ego makes a false claim i slept happily you should say no you did not you weren't even there <laughs> if you can catch that little trick it's like a fault line in maya the it's a little fault line in in the matrix let us say matrix movie mm-hmm. which has nicely trapped us in this illusion it seems all very real and nice there are little cracks here and there here's a little crack it doesn't gel together it's a very subtle point but it's interesting if you can catch what is being said it's worth thinking about this question is from atiabi from princeton new jersey I am intrigued by the thought I. 
I understand the I thought as a spontaneous modification of the mind with no external or internal stimuli. This contrasts with all other thoughts of the mind which arise either from external sensory inputs or internal stimuli from memory. Maybe this can also explain how the I thought arises spontaneously in the mind even during deep sleep where the mind is not active and then recalled in the waking state. One, is my understanding of the I thought correct? Two, can you also please explain how an inv investigation of the source of I would lead to the source Atman, which is thought-free? Yes, this understanding is correct. Not only is the understanding correct, that the very fact that the attention has been drawn to the I, the I thought, uh, this is uh, this is very good. This is extremely helpful for Vedanta. The one thought that is useful for us is the I thought. Not that it is the ultimate reality, but it is it is it leads or points to the ultimate reality. So the I thought uh, investigation into the I thought does it lead to the ultimate reality? Yes. Mandukya Upanishad, seventh mantra, maybe the most important text in uh, Vedanta, the ancient Upanishads. Uh, it says, uh, "Ekatma." Ekatmanusaram Ekatma Pratyanusaram Let me see Nanta Pragyam na Bahish Pragyam na Ubhayata Pragyam na Pragyana Ghanam na Pragyam na Pragyam Adrishtam Abhyavaharyam Agrahyam Alakshanam Achintyam Abhyapadeshyam Ekatma Pratyanusaram So investigating the Atma Pratyaya, the thought of the I that will lead to enlightenment. That continuous, this, this thought of I is bubbling up. Now you are right, that the I thought is unique. First of all, let us grasp that the I thought is a function of the mind. As you see, it is an I thought. And thinking is the very nature of the mind. What is the mind constituted of? Thoughts. And these thoughts are um, of various kinds. In Vedanta, broadly these are classified the mind itself is classified into four. The mind itself is called antakkarana, inner instrument. Antakkarana, inner instrument. Proving thereby two things. One, it is not an external instrument. What's an external instrument? Like our sense organs, they are in contact with the external world. Eyes are in contact with forms. Ears are in contact with sounds. Skin with touch and so on. Nose with smell and so on. The mind is not directly in contact with forms or sound or anything. The mind gets this information from the senses. So the senses are called external in instruments. In contrast to these, the mind is called the inner instrument. Antakkarana. It gathers information from the external world through the senses, but it, it is not directly in contact with the external world. The second thing we ga gather about the mind is that uh, it's an instrument. It's not you. Uh, that's an important point. An instrument is not you. When I am speaking through the microphone, I am not the microphone, thank God. So, uh, an instrument is not you. You are the user of the instrument. You are the user of the mind, the internal instrument, and the external instrument, the senses. The I thought is one of these thoughts. The inner instrument, so-called mind, inner instrument, uh, in Vedanta, four aspects or four functions are distinguished. Mana, buddhi, chitta, hankara, the mind itself. It's just, and then chitta, memory. And then uh, buddhi, intellect, understanding. And ahankara, I, ego. So the I thought is one of the functionings of this inner instrument, is one of the functionings of the mind. I'm using the mind in a broad sense. Each of these functionings, mana, buddhi, chitta, hankara, has been precisely defined. So what is the definition of the I thought? What is the definition of I thought, the ego? It is avimanatmika antakkarana vritti. That thought, that same word again, vritti. All today's whole session seems to be about vrittis. The same thought, the same vritti, um, which, that, that, that thought which is of the form of avimanatmika, the appropriating function. What does appropriating function mean? Whatever else is going on in that inner environment, this thought, this I thought, its one function is to say, it's mine. So a thought comes, the I thought will say, I am thinking. You see a flower, 
And you don't you don't just say flower. You you say I see a flower. A desire for a cookie comes. You don't say cookie desire. You say I desire a cookie. I. Where is this? Notice everywhere the I is inserted. Right now talking. You don't say talking is happening. What what will uh, what, what will you say? I am talking. What's the fact? Talking is happening. But who is this stranger I which comes in and says I am talking? I am speaking. So. this i is connected with all the functionings of the mind with all the functionings of the motor organs also walking talking grasping all of this everything that is happening in the body and mind the i consciously happening the i appropriates and that's the function of the i why would it do that very important function that lends unity to everything that's happening in the body mind so you feel this jiva i am a sentient being with all these things happening around me pleasure pain desire memory understanding uh, activities my role my identity my personality my story all of that is centered around the i so you can see it's a very vital function psychologically it's a very very important function otherwise you just fall apart the whole thing would just be processes going on another curious thing about the i generally let me put it this way words have reference when you speak a word you mean something when i say clock the word clock is a word and this is the object referent shabdartha in sanskrit shabda clock artha this this is the object similarly mic word this is the object flower it's a word that's the object body it's the word this is the object Now when we all use words we all mean the same thing by those words when you say when i say clock when i'm talking about this clock i mean this clock when you say clock and you mean this clock you mean this clock all of the all of us when we say clock we mean this thing now so all of us use words in the same way otherwise conversation wouldn't be possible if you meant something by chair and I, you you meant by chair a table and i meant by chair a cookie we couldn't talk to each other <laughs> we all mean the same thing by the same words but notice there's one unique word i i all of us use the word i but by that all of us each of us means a unique different thing not the same thing by i i don't mean what you mean by i by i she doesn't mean what you mean by i each of us means something else by i so is this word i an exception to the rule what is the rule when you use words they must mean the same things but when we use the word i what does it refer to something separate if you follow vedanta the rule is reestablished because vedanta says ultimately the i refers all the time when we are saying i we all refer to the same thing actually um, the atman which is one for all of us but we don't know that why don't we know that why is this peculiar situation because the i as it functions because of its function what has happened is <coughs> it is not really the fault of the i there is this veil of ignorance which hides the real atman the real self and the i instead of referring to the real self it now refers to body mind and each case body mind is different so the i now begins to refer to different things different persons so this is how it is going on now it's a false situation it we are the witness we are the witness of the i forgetting ourselves we have identified ourselves with the i so the first thing to do is to break away from the shackles of the i that's why though ultimately the i has is not to be blamed but right now the real villain is i when we are in bondage when we are in samsara every religious path every spiritual path it it targets that i the ego whether it is the path of devotion where the i the ego is minimized in the front of a bigger i god we make ourselves smaller and smaller and smaller till we make the ego disappear and thus is the real self set free or in the path of karma yoga where the i is minimized the i of the others is maximized i sacrifice this little life for the uh, for the welfare of others just the reversal of what i have been doing so far everything for i this little i 
this little ghost in the body. Everything in the universe is pulled to this. Food and riches and pleasures and name and fame and success and praise. All of it for in service of what? This little eye. And what we, this is the little eye we don't know. It's like a ghost in the machine. Now in Karma Yoga that is rever- reversed. You say the I, not I, but this. Yeah. All the, the world, whatever, whatever they need, unselfish action. Life lived unselfishly. Swami Vivekananda says, let all vision cease. You realize that you are the Atman. Or if you cannot, dream but truer dreams, which are eternal love and service free. It's still a dream, still within ignorance, but much better. It reduces the eye. In Raja Yoga, through Samadhi, Chitta Vritti Nirodha, all the functionings of the mind, all thoughts, including I thought, is shut down. At least for a short while. And in Jnana, the real referent of the I is discovered. Referent, clock word, clock object. I word, what? Uh, Atman, but right now, body mind. So in Vedanta that is, by investigation into the I, the real, what, is, what does the I really refer to? That is discovered. Again, you have to get rid of the, that small I. Sri Ramakrishna put it this way, the ripe I and the unripe I. So he says, even after all of this, by bhakti, by karma yoga, by meditation, or ultimately by Vedantic self-inquiry, the ultimate path, all of this, you discover the reality, but I will come back. He says, the rascal will come back. Now you have to give it a status now. What was the earlier, what was its status? All powerful, the great ego, I, I was completely one with it. Now I know I am not it. Mano buddhya hankara chittani naham. First step is to see that I am not any of the functions of the mind, including ego. I am not mind, I am not intellect, I am not memory, I am not ego. <clears throat> now it comes back again. When Sri Ramakrishna says, you have to give it a status. What is the status? He says, let the rascal remain. In Bengali, he says, let it remain as the servant I. The Lord is my master, I am the servant. This is a devotional attitude. Or if you are on the path of knowledge, he says, uh, let it remain as Aminitto Shuddho Buddho Mukto Atma. I am the eternal, ever pure, ever shining consciousness, the Atman. That's also the small eye speaking. But it's uh, that that knowledge helps it to transcend its its little nature. It points to the Atman. One more point. This is from the Panchadashi. The I, the word I, is, has three meanings. The word I has three meanings. Um, one meaning for those who are in ignorance and two meanings for those who are enlightened. For those who are in ignorance, the word I meaning means the referent. Clock meaning this object. I meaning this body and mind. For whom? For the ignorant. That's meaning number one. What is the meaning number one? Body-mind. I means body-mind. For whom? Ignorant person. Then the two other meanings for enlightened. For the enlightened person. After enlightenment, I realize that I am not the I. Chidananda Rupa Shivoham. I am of the nature of pure consciousness. I am of the nature of Shiva. I am of the nature of Shiva. That is my nature. I shine upon the I. I am the witness of the I. But I am not the I itself. I am not a thought. So that is the real meaning of the I, which is known to the enlightened person. What is I? Aham Brahmasmi. There is no longer the little I. The little I points to Brahman. So Aham Brahmasmi. That is the real knowledge of the I, which is known to or which is realized by enlightened people. And they use I in a third sense. Again to refer to body and mind, but not truly so. Just for transacting with us. When Sri Ramakrishna says, I will have a glass of water... Sometimes he refers to the body and mind as this. Uh, he looked at his picture. He said, this will be worshipped and, uh, in households from time to come. This. Or sometimes he says, my hand is broken. Or I shall drink a glass of water. I shall go to Calcutta. What will go to Calcutta? Brahman will go to Calcutta? No. 
this body and mind will go to calcutta but instead of speaking in that roundabout way put this body and mind in in one carriage and take it to calcutta <laughs> he says i'll go to calcutta And Vedanta says, approves of it. He says, after enlightenment, don't be weird. <laughs> you don't be weird. Don't. Yes, he says, just speak like everybody else. Act like everybody else. Vyavahara must continue. The transactions of the world must continue. Don't disrupt it. You know the truth, but now you have the two senses of the eye. the eye as sachidananda which is known to you which is a clear, clear reality for you and the eye as body and mind uh, which you use in order to interact with people and let that continue i have seen any number of people very enthusiastic vedanta people uh, the students uh, writing to me i who am have now appearing as body and mind and with the name mishra i'm calling to uh, i'm writing to you the same pure consciousness in the body and mind of sarvapriyananda with this don't do that it's a, <laughs> just say that i am mr mishra writing to you swami and vedanta proves of it that's the third meaning of the i you're not lying it's a third meaning of the i so i has three meanings one generally which people use body and mind that's the common meaning second one after enlightenment aham brahmasmi third after enlightenment in a secondary sense uh, as the body mind in sanskrit it's called gaunartha i think we've run out of time we'll keep the questions for next time all right we had an intense session i see the questions are getting more and more subtle and more and more difficult but very good please take care stay safe stay well let the blessings of thakur mahan swami ji be upon us in this new year ओशातेशातेशा हरि ओ तत्सत्मकृष्णर्पणमस्तु